0: Welcome to The Sacred Life, an exploration of the mysteries at the center of the Christian faith, hosted by brothers David and John Baylor. This one felt like kind of an unusual talk. Maybe that's just what we do. We start off tracing some different ways that people talk about the ordered center and the chaotic margins. We eventually stumble onto the idea that the margins bring about healing and growth. As an individual, you grow by facing your own demons. On a larger scale we constantly see marginal figures that work profound and positive influence on mainstream society and who in fact become central figures in society if we want to be centered as people or as a society then we need to go to the edges thank you for joining us in the sacred life okay i'm going to start off with just listing off a lot of dichotomies that explain the way that we that we view the world um we hear we hear a lot from uh, Jordan Peterson about order and chaos, and these uh, um, these are, are yin and yang. Um, but not only do we have do we have those ideas, but we have we have the same the same dichotomy that shows up over and over again. One example, uh, another ancient like pseudo religious example, is Empedocles in ancient Greece, who said there are two forces. That, that govern the world, um, which are not order and chaos, but are love and strife. And love is the force that unites things. Strife is the force that divides things. Um, and along with this idea of order is this um, idea of control, this idea of, we, we could say, um, dogmatism. And on the other side, we have, um, we have like, Freedom and I mean again chaos, and uh, and mysticism, uncertainty. On the one hand, we have uh, along with this idea of control and order and all of that, um, we have the center. And we were talking last time about about sort of aligning yourself with the center and finding the center. And on the other side, in the in the realm of chaos, in the realm realm of Yin, we have um, oh we have uh, the margins, we have the periphery, we have um, the foreigner, and uh, uh, in, in none of these, this is not the good and evil dichotomy. Um, both of these things are going to be like very necessary. In, in some of our talks we've kind of been resisting dogmatism and embracing mysticism. Um, but but of course we, we acknowledge there's need for both of those things. There's need for for reason and order um, and those things as well. There's need for the this kind of rigid idea of truth, and there's need for this looser idea of truth. And um, another one, uh, uh, another dichotomy that maps perfectly onto these things. So again, I've got order and chaos. I've got yang and yin. I put them in that order because that's the same as order and chaos. So I've got yang and yin. I've got center, and I've got periphery. Um, I also have the left brain and the right brain, which is basically the ordered dogmatic thinking and the mystical thinking. And um, and then both of us, uh, me and David's here, I haven't let him talk yet, but, <laughs> um, but uh, we were just discussing ideas that that uh, Jonathan Pajot was sharing symbolic ideas about the right hand and the left hand. Now you got to flip those in 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 terms of what I said about the brain because it's the left brain that controls the right hand. But he says, and you can you can add on to this if I, you feel like I screw it up. Um, but the right hand is is the closed hand of order. That is the thing that that uh, clutches onto things and pulls them toward the center. The left hand is is the open hand of um, well, open hand, now he talks about the hand that pushes away. So that's the hand of the margin, the hand of the foreigner, or the hand of, of chaos in a sense. Um, but I also see in the open hand, now maybe I'm being unfair because he's more familiar. I, this isn't something that he said about it. When I hear open hand, then I also think of receptiveness, which is which is yin, which is what you would expect to map onto that left hand. So, uh I just rattled off a whole bunch of those uh, dichotomies, but they're all basically again, I'm just basically listing them one last time, order and chaos, yang and yin, love and strife, um, left brain and right brain, right hand and left hand. Maybe I skipped some of those, but uh, but we 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 fall into this way of thinking. In all times, in all periods in history, and in cultures all across the world, so that's kind of a fascinating phenomenon. Which I guess that's where I want to jump in at, Um, because like
1: you're you're using all these terminology like from like Taoism, which would be something that a lot of Christians, especially more conservative or more traditional types of Christians, are going to be very uncomfortable with using things from Taoism or from Buddhism and
0: ancient Greek philosophy like and modern contemporary psychology and like I have to think of like
1: so this comes from Justin Martyr who was the end of the first century and beginning of the second century of an important uh, figure very important like a centrally important figure in the early church and the development of I guess you could say Christian philosophy who makes this statement i I'm, I'm not quoting him i'm just kind of paraphrasing his idea like looking back to the greek philosophers because he himself comes from the greek tradition like looking back at these greek philosophers and saying like these guys they're not christians but they anticipate christ in their ideas like there's the spirit of god i don't. that probably wouldn't be how he would say it but there's this this logos, truth, like he's also an important uh, figure in fleshing out this idea of logos in Christianity. But there's this logos at work in all of these ancient ideas, there's truth. And we know that as Christians, truth is our truth, it belongs to us. And so like we shouldn't, his point is we shouldn't fear that these guys weren't Christians and maybe some of them even were pagans. Like If there's truth, it's truth. Mm-hmm. And we can point to the pagan philosophers and say, "Look, these guys anticipated the coming of truth into the world."
0: Yeah, now, I mean, you can also see, if you use that idea, there's there's something that's kind of crippled in Christianity uh, in the the forms of Christianity. maybe I should say yeah. that that reject scientific truth um, and and reject the whole endeavor of science, but also reject any truth that
1: is found in any other tradition so like you use the example Mm -hmm, of of the right hand as a closed hand the left hand as an open hand so this is actually an ancient symbol like you find it all over the world Mm -hmm. and there's like a i don't can't remember the name of the artist who painted it but this famous occult like this famous thing among the occult in modern times is this painting of baphomet i don't know if you know it's just like this cow-headed bull-headed idol Standing there with a with a a closed hand and an open hand, Mm -hmm. and like people who are familiar with that, especially like more traditional, traditionally minded Christians, will see that as an occult symbol. Like there's a lot of examples of that of things that are actually ancient Christian symbols, and even things that are just like ancient beyond belief, beyond understanding
0: symbols that the occult also uses, but so do Christians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for Pajot, he is he's looking at uh, mostly. Um, Old Testament um, descriptions of right and left, and, and right. trying to explain every time you see this right and left, but also mentioned like in the al- Bible. Also, the, mis- the language, language of Christ. So, so yeah, the Old Testament, and then then yeah, the language of Christ in the New Testament, as well. Like the uh, um, those that that Christ draws unto Himself are the ones that are on the right. Yeah. Uh, so there's
1: a frustrating uh, temptation among conservative Christians to
0: identify the right. As the righteous and the left as the unrighteous, and that's mm-hmm. that's just not the case, right? Well, I mean, there's there's also like you know that that clutch right hand is also like that's the the iron fist of totalitarianism as well, so so it's, um, well, and and the the iron fist of rationality as well, which we were criticizing in a past right. um, podcast. So so there are some some definite evils that can go along with that. Right hand as well.
1: Yeah, so like Maximus Confessor, the Confessor is, like, I don't know, is he like fifth century, sixth century Christian writer? Um, works out works a lot with this language of right and left, and he says something like uh, things like uh, like sins of excess, like gluttony and immorality and these things like they sins of the left hand, I was like drawing in things in excess. But then you also have sins of the right hand, which are like pride and self-sufficiency, which is like closing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like this, uh, like, I would characterize, Like, and I think that's a very good way to look at it, because you can look at elements of the church and say, you are so tight, tightly gripping control of things that you've excluded God from your theology. Um... Like that might not make sense at first, but it's just like you've built such a rigid
0: system that there's just no room in it for God. Mm-hmm. There's no room in it for Christ. Well, he I said mean, all you
1: have is order.
0: Yeah, you, you say it. You say it might not make sense, but it's like that means there's no room for the transcendent. Right. Um, Which is what I there mean. is only room for the things that you can wrap your mind around and understand. And if yeah. you can't understand it, then it then it doesn't exist.
1: Which is actually like the like the inspiration for this whole discussion. Um, you know, kind of, we were talking about it beforehand, like, what I want to discuss is this idea of drawing back to the sinner, because like, I've seen it, witness it firsthand, like, this sin of the right hand in our own traditions, causing you to completely lose Christ, Mm -hmm. and this results in blatant heresies concerning Christ. Yeah. And it's like, this. it's just so baffling to me, like, you think... You think like you're you're holding fast to what is true and good, and you're holding on and conserving, but then you
0: completely lose the center. Mm-hmm. Now we we have sort of talked about that in terms of rational thought, but you also see that in terms of um, codes of conduct. They're like um, here's the list of things that you need to do, and if you do these things, then you are righteous, and if you don't do them, then you are unrighteous. Yeah. Um, it's also like uh, it's it's not intellectual, but it's still this um, this this like sin of of overly tight definitions of things, right? Um, and I mean, any any Christian that's listening to this is going to think, no, that's not a good perspective. I mean, uh, I, I, when I when I say that, I mean, clear definition sounds like a good thing, right. and and there is a lot of good in it, um, but but anybody can listen and say. Wait a minute. It is a problem if you think that you, you have a list of rules that you can follow that make you a righteous person, because righteousness does not depend on a list of rules. There's something um, undefinable about it. Um, yeah.
1: I mean, there's something mystical about it. And like thinking about this idea of like drawing people back to the center, like regaining the center because we've lost the center. And like when you lost when you lose the center, the whole thing becomes unstable. You know, like having this discussion, me and John having this discussion, um, you know, about our goals. Like, what are we trying to do with this podcast? I was like, well, for me, like my own personal goal, like with this and with everything I'm doing, is to regain the center, to build it up. But, and like, one of my driving goals in doing this is to take my own tradition, take my own church, and restore it to what it once was. But, like, recognizing, like... That's not going to happen if I target this strictly at conservative Anabaptist people. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to listen. Like I wouldn't listen <laughs> if somebody was doing this, and I was watching them. Like it's like it's not a it's not a criticism. It's just like that's just not the way things work. It's an yeah. observation. That's not the way things work. The way you regain the center is the opposite of what you think it is. It's not by going into the center and holding on to it so tight. And trying to wrap your arms around it so it can't get away, because then you just squeeze it out and it pops out.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's almost related to the idea we mentioned before about um, the the axis mundi is something that reaches into heaven and reaches into hell as right. well. Where hell is the place of ultimate disorder. The devil, diablo, um, is is the one, or, or diabolos, is the one that divides things, that throws things apart. Um, so if if your if your axis mundi is reaching all the way down into hell. Then it is reaching into the disordered. It is reaching into the chaotic. It is uh, reaching into. I mean, there's mystery on both ends of that. I suppose so I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that mm-hmm. heaven is order and hell is chaos um, specifically. But, um, but still, in that image, it, it, it conveys like the center has both of those things. Yeah. Um, um. If you if you if you cut out the the realm of chaos, then. I mean, last time I, I, we were talking about this. I think I said like you're you're left with like uh, a a sort of gospel of success. Like if you're a good Christian, everything goes great for you all the time. You you wind up with this very shallow, um, very hollow, uh, like rootless sort of faith. It's not built on anything actually. Yeah, right. Which which is also the way the left brain works. Uh, the left brain uh, is not built on anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the left brain is like is, is rational thought process, but uh, but but the foundational values. Why do you want to rationally prove something? Why does something? Why does something? I like whatever you build your logical argument on top of. It it always every logical argument depends on an irrational judgment.
1: Yeah. Um, and like going back to what I was saying about like you know my my goal is to restore, I guess you could say restore the sinner to our faith. So it's like to explain that to people who maybe don't know what i'm saying so like we have all of our traditions so like the easiest one to point at is all of the restrictions that we place upon ourselves as mennonites Mm -hmm. and even those of you that are not mennonites probably have an idea of what i'm talking about i won't go into detail
0: there well everybody does i mean (laughs) other churches do that too yeah Um, like mennonites
1: to like an outwardly obvious way like that is beyond what your average group of Christians is going to do. Mm-hmm. And like strictures in our dress, um, things that we're not allowed to have, places we're not allowed to go, things we're not
0: allowed to do. And like, there's a whole lot of not allowed. Mm-hmm. And, and and I will just ask the question just to make sure you're clear about that. Um, is that necessarily a bad thing? Um, well, what I, like, what I say is it's
1: necessarily a good thing. But if you lose the center, if you lose the focus of it, it becomes a corrupt and terrible thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like you have this within our tradition where like the tradition has become about the strictures, about the restrictions and nothing else. And it's like, where well, the, the criticism to peop- uh, that people will have coming out of that is like, well, where is Christ? And it's like, well, that's an accurate, like that's to the point. Like, my observation I come to is that uh, they don't work out what that means. And, like, that's hardly a fair complaint for me to make because it's not something you can work out. It's like Christ himself, and I've said this before, and I think it's a centrally important thing. Christ himself says to Peter when he confesses at the transfiguration that he is Christ, he says flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So it's like, it's not something, like, you're not going to understand the mysteries of Christ. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Jesus says it's given to us to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Yeah. Like, like the important thing there is that it's given to us. Like, we have the mind of Christ. (laughs) Right, yeah. Like, he's saying flesh and blood hasn't revealed this. Like, you haven't worked out that I'm Christ on your own. You haven't come to this revelation, like, through study and through teaching and through your own efforts and through the efforts of your tradition or whatever. Like, no flesh, n- nothing that is of flesh and blood has revealed this to you. But the light of God has. Like, that's the way it works. Um, but, like, I keep not making the, the point okay, Yeah. That I started out to make, which is, uh, like, in Restoring the center, like, I came to the realization, like, I can't make a podcast for Mennonites, because why should they care what I have to say? Like, instead, I have to view it like, I'm making a podcast for everybody but Mennonites. Like in order to reach to the center, you have to reach out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like something that seems on its face to be contradictory, but as if you, like, sit sit down and
0: think about it, like you start to realize. Well, okay. Well, sit down and think about it for a second, because like what uh, what are what are some examples that would explain what that means? In order to reach the center, you have to reach out. Um. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. I mean, I, I think well, so there's, like there's a heck of a question in there. I think it's easier to to demonstrate it negatively,
1: where where like it's easier to show where uh, like the attempt to reach to the center doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And like the easiest thing, to, like look at any conflict that you have in any of your religious Christian groups, your denominations, your congregations, or even like your political parties or something like that. Like any attempt. establish the center and stick your flag in the ground and rally around it just results in division
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and by like like, then like the opposite of that is like what is it that unifies the church it's the christian mission um
0: it's like the the fires of pentecost which is like the spreading out of the church well hang on before you get on to that idea because i want to i want to still give some uh some discussion to this idea what does it mean? In order to get to the center, you have to reach out. Uh, in order to get to the center of your faith, you have to reach out. In order to become like a centered individual, then you have to reach out into into like the chaotic, the unknown, the the uncomfortable, and all these sorts of things. So I want to give a couple examples. One, yeah. one, you hear this in um, in very contemporary churches that um, there's there's like almost this this creedal idea that we are a church of outsiders, yeah. we are a church of sinners, um, we're, we're not perfect people. And so it's like uh, trying to find the the outsider within yourself, the thing that doesn't fit within yourself. Um, that's, that's how you come to Christ.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, there's also an element of Christianity that chafes hard against that idea. Mm-hmm. Like the teaching that we're a hospital for sinners, or we're a church of imperfect people. Well it's like but it's also true that we're perfected and that we're saints. Yeah. And all these things. So it's like I don't like your teaching that we're a church of sinners
0: because you're rejecting the grace of Christ. Well, but there's an element to you get the also two guys true. praying and like, um, which which one does does Jesus say goes home justified? Like is it is it and I'm gonna paraphrase here and put it in the language that we've been using, um, which one goes home justified? Is it the one that came in and, and prayed, Thank you God, because I am at the center? Or is it the one that said, um, I, I am at the edges, right? I I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. Yeah. So it's like, it's fascinating. So like I've started, I've just
1: started reading, uh, um, the ladder of divine ascent. It's uh, another ancient Christian writing. And what it actually is, is a, it's an instruction manual for monks. And like the reason I bring this up, I'm not really going to say a whole lot from the book as much as you run into this idea from Protestants that the idea of monks is that they go and escape from the world so that they can escape from sin. And it's like, you actually read what the monks themselves saying and what the masters of monks are writing as instructions for them, it's like, no, that's the opposite of what they're doing, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you read what they're saying, and it's like, actually, no, our life is much harder than yours. Yeah. We're going to encounter our demons. and like. The reason we flee from the world is so that like we can more seriously encounter our lust and our passions
0: and learn from them
2: mm-hmm.
0: well, and, like it's fascinating um, It is. I'm um, part of what's fascinating about that is you get this kind of like extreme corruption of the monasteries yeah um, and, and you get that corruption when you get the when you get the idea the, the theology that says this is uh, the, like a perfected life right. Um, the the idea that that Martin Luther was rebelling against, that um, he thought he he was a monk, of course. He dissolved monasteries. Um, He thought these should not be a part of the church, which he later actually regretted. Mm -hmm. But the reason he didn't like it is because the theology of monasticism in his day was that you go to a monk, uh, you go to a monastery, and um, you just live out the rest of your life as a perfect person. Yeah, and I that's like, that's very much in contrast to this idea that you're saying this ancient idea that you go to become a monk, and when you do that, um, you encounter how much of an imperfect person you are.
1: Yeah, and like there's also like this idea that develops quite strongly in the late Middle Ages in the West. Like it's kind of, it's kind of inevitable, and it happens all over the world wherever there are monks. Um, that it's like you start to look at monks as perfect people hmm and then you also have people like Chaucer and other medieval writers Boccaccio
0: like, oh man he like was, yeah like, they're like pointing <laughs> B- out like Boccaccio tore the monks to yeah, shreds yeah like, like <laughs> <I> mean, tearing <laughs> down that idea Chaucer like, Chaucer at least had good humor about it but Boccaccio hmm. was was ruthless right yeah. I mean he had a, a sort of humor about it too but yeah those medieval writers uh, they are not kind to monks but yeah like I had this crazy idea I haven't even told John
1: this by the way I had this crazy idea this afternoon Um, while working, like thinking about this idea of, uh, you know, like the answer to redeeming the center or like, not redeeming the center, but bringing us back to the center. And it's like, well, what if the answer to that is like, go to Syria? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, this is, this is this wild, crazy idea. Like maybe the answer to doing what you want is like to go to the worst possible place on earth.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, essentially, like, the simple abstract answer um, that we're pushing toward is if you want to be um, at the center of God's will or at the center of, like, finding your identity in Christ, then you do it by encountering the demons in yourself. Right. Like, that's, that's the mission that you go on. Like, face the hard things. Don't face the easy things. Don't face the easy things about the faith. Face the hard things about the faith. Yeah. Don't face the easy things about yourself and the good things. I mean, it's, it's, those things are important. You, you want to understand your strengths and all that. But like, if you really want to grow, then you'll understand your weaknesses. Yeah. So like, it, like it struck
1: me thinking about this idea, like maybe it's not like literally go to the actual nation of Syria right now at this point in history. Like I'll step aside and like, maybe there's a chance that you've been in a coma for the last 10 years. And the first thing that you're hearing is this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but for those of the, you who don't know, like Syria is torn, like it's destroyed. There's been a civil war going on for years and we won't get into the politics obviously, but like the country is just ravaged and destroyed. Um, everybody's fighting everybody else. And just like any awful thing you can imagine is going on in Syria right now.
0: You know, we've but at
1: the same time, Syria is home to the oldest church in the world. Like the oldest continual congregation on the planet Mm. is in Syria. Yeah. And like, but it's also one that in recent history has been very lax in its mission. Um, And like they themselves will admit that. Like, I don't think this is like an accusatory thing that I'm saying about them. Mm -hmm. But it's like, there's so much meaning that arises out of that thought, go to Syria. It's like, go to this place that's destroyed. That's just torn itself apart, and at the center of it is the faith. It's the true faith, but it's dead. Like, obviously being somewhat hyperbolic there, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of symbolism and just in that idea, like talking about like restoring the center. It's well, like, I mean, well, it's, you've like, it's go... almost like it, 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 yeah. it's
0: not a bad thing to be dead if you can look at the fact that you're dead. <laughs> right, no, exactly. Um, it's like, And I'm not saying
1: this from the perspective of, like, oh, here is the Greek Orthodox Church of Antioch. They're, you know, the Roman church. They're corrupt and they're dead. And I'm a good, true Christian, so I'm looking down at them. It's like, you guys are corrupt and this is your, your own stupidity no
0: you're saying go there <laughs> and i'm saying like no
1: this is this is me like, yeah mm-hmm. this is the church yeah there's one church and like if if this part of the church has fallen into sin like i share in that we yeah. all share in that. like we shouldn't look at them like it frustrates me like this is me i guess uh <laughs> airing my own grievances to some degree but like it frustrates me so much to see like there's evangelicals trying so hard to be missionaries in Syria right now and probably doing some good but seeing the things that they say about the church that's there and seeing like their total unwillingness to cooperate with them at any level whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's like no this is terrible. Yeah. Like you're not you're not sowing the kingdom. You're not working for the kingdom. You're not you're not sowing a gospel of peace. You're sowing division. Right. Yeah. so, like, all you're doing is adding another layer to the conflict.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. When I I was in the Dominican Republic, um, I was there with a a Protestant uh, missionary group, and um, they were, like, trying to establish these Protestant churches because because they felt the Catholic Church was, you know, so dead and corrupt. Um, And... That's sort of a thing Protestants feel about Catholics in general um, but I, I think there are some particular well I don't know I mean partly you have like these these weird uh, festival celebrations and things like that that uh, that uh, I, that Protestants just don't understand um, and, and and so we were there and we helped to. build a church in a very small village i mean extremely small this like you got no business having two churches in a village this small um but they had a catholic church and there was this group that wanted to build a protestant church um i went back like four years later and it it was it was an empty building nobody was using the church building because the protestant group had split (laughs) and they were there was a big you know like fight over who's who gets the church and the answer i guess was nobody gets the church yeah um and uh i, I well, it is interesting cuz that's actually how so it works individual. in reality yeah
1: right so like when we split over like whose church is it and who's the right church well, it ends up that it's like nobody has the church mm-hmm. and
0: like th- like going back to this like yeah I, and, and i mean if meaning... you say if you can say like we don't deserve it you do at least somebody gets the church <laughs> like right. if if you're not worthy then then something good is happening in the world yeah um right um what was I gonna say oh yeah like going back to
1: like this like seeing this meeting and just like, like this picture that came to my mind of like maybe you should just go to syria it's like it's on my mind a lot partially like because of that idea of the protestants going there and trying to make christians out of the syrians and like you could make you could maybe say like this idea that's in my mind of go to Syria is like go into like the most chaotic fringes of reality, like mm-hmm. the place where reality is just falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and like war is like the most perfect
0: symbol of that. Like, well, martyrdom just, is as well, which right. I mean, we've talked about martyrdom as well. And, and like the uh, um, which is like if you actually go to Syria, How, <laughs> you're encountering both, yeah, yeah right, right, right. Um, and, and so, like, you, you have a, a sort of healthy church that identifies itself as a church of suffering yeah. and, a, and a church of martyrdom. And we, I mean, you get, like, um, Christ is the man of sorrows acqua- acquainted with grief and, like, the, the ultimate symbol of Christianity is God hanging on a cross.
1: Yeah, and it's like, I, I believe firmly that a, a, a Christianity that's focused entirely on the positive and redemptive ad aspects of Christianity is not a healthy Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's incomplete. Um, but like, so you like you go into the midst of this chaos, and like the idea that some people have is like, basically, I would characterize like this Protestant mission is: I go into the margins, I go into the peripheries, and there I plant myself. So like, what we're doing as American missionaries is basically we were going and trying to turn everybody into good Americans. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, instead, like go to Syria and realize like Christ is already there. Turn them into good Syrians. I mean Yeah, like the church is already there. Like why I'm tempted to, I'm tempted to use explicatives in this statement, but it's like why in the world why in the world is your mission not to go to the church and build it up? Mm-hmm. Like that's like, that's to me, like, this idea, go out onto the margins, go out into the edges of your understanding and the edges of your experience, go out to where definition of it, itself, everything you know and understand just falls apart. And there you find the church. Like, it's already there. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you're not going out
0: there and finding the church, it's because you're not looking for it. Yeah. Well, there's... Uh, and, and you say the margin... Um, I hope everybody's following this conversation okay because I think (laughs) I don't know if I am (laughs) I think it's exciting to both of us but it's sort of uh, um, hopefully we can keep it grounded Um, hopefully we are keeping it grounded I don't know yeah but um, I want to mention that idea you mentioned of of going to the margin and uh, you're, you're using that language under the influence of Jonathan Pajot who we mentioned earlier and, and he uses it under the influence of, of Jacques Derrida, which is, a, a, in a way, uh, I, maybe I'm being a little unfair if I say, in a way, no hero to Jonathan Pajot, um, but this uh, um, deconstructionist um, postmodern thinker. But, but uh, we hear that term frequently, like the, the marginalized people, the people that are on the margins, and um, it's, it's the, uh, well, you could say, like, um, the the radical left in America wants to identify the people that are on the margins and and um, lift them up and like get people to stop uh, attacking them and and, and hating them um, and and in in a way in doing so um, I mean they' they're sort of they're sort of they're sort of trying to uh, to turn people that are that are more toward the center of society into the enemy right um but anyways i i wanted to mention just a little bit of that that idea of like what all is implied in the margin it is these people that are on the edge of the world that you don't like um and there there is something of value in those people so like there's 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 something of value in looking at yourself and finding like okay what are the unacceptable parts about myself what are the parts about myself that do not fit into this world yeah um and that i hate <laughs> I say into this world, but not like I'm talking about the, the microcosm of the person. Really, now, what are the parts of me that 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 don't fit into uh, what I think I should be? Um, you, you, I mean, you have to face those things. You can't live in denial of those things. Right. And and uh, well, like not only that, like sometimes, and like I've encountered this myself. It's like
1: the things that I'm un, the most uncomfortable with about myself. And the things that I'm rejecting and the things that I'm trying not to be, it's like, that's precisely where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's like to abide in those things. Um, and like thinking, like thinking of myself more and more as like this Elijah type of figure that... So like Elijah, if you use most English translations of the Bible, you know him as Elijah the Tishbite. Um, and I think we're probably mistaken in not translating the word Tishbite because like, like, I used to always think Tishbite. Well, that's just describing where he was from. Like, that's actually not what it means. It means Elijah the stranger. Mm-hmm. But it's like interesting because who Elijah actually is, is the guy that's holding on to the center. But he's doing it in the context of a world that has just like descended into absolute chaos.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if 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 the world, if the world goes nuts, then like the outsider is the guy who's right. <laughs> who's, um, who's at and, the like, center. And like also like. And like, and the world is be, always going nuts, being uncomfortable, like all my
1: life with the fact that I'm an outsider everywhere I am. like, you know, like a Mennonite kid in public school, and I don't know to what degree you experienced this, but all the kids used to me and another Mennonite kid were in the same grade in school. and especially in elementary, like, Used to jokingly call us Amish or half Amish, mm-hmm. and
0: make like it was fun. Like it didn't offend me or anything like that. But it's just like a good illustration. But like, but it helps you see like I'm 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 different. I don't yeah quite like fit. like even if it is in good humor and these are right. are your friends.
1: Yeah. So like always being an outsider. But then like even amongst my own tradition, just because of the circumstances of my upbringing, and like the fact that like we're historically from like a different part of the Anabaptist tradition mm-hmm. than where I'm at now it's like i'm still an outsider and like also like having this this understanding growing up that like our culture is swiss culture and that's the homeland like that's where we're from that's who we are but it's like go to switzerland and it's like but i don't fit in here either
2: Mm -hmm. right
0: yeah that's interesting i mean that's that's sort of i i hear um children of missionaries who like that's that's the, the person in the world that's most likely to say what you're saying. Right. Um, is somebody that's, you know, I'm not at home when I'm on the mission field and I'm not at home when I'm at home either. Right. But it's like learning learning that,
1: well, that's where you're, precisely where you're supposed to be, just mm-hmm. not at home. Yeah. And seeing, like, that's uh, that's also symbolism in the Bible. It's like you're, you're pilgrims and strangers here. Yeah. Like, you right. find here no continuing city. Like, you don't live here. Um, and, like, embracing that, like, that strangeness that defines me, Instead of rejecting
0: it, um, and like also like thinking about our own. Well, you you go through Baptist. you go through a time in life where you got to figure out how to fit in, right. but um, but you better figure out how to not fit in too, <laughs> because um, because like so often, so often fitting in is is a sin. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, it's so a often of, like doing uh, the right thing. I mean, I, like if you're gonna stand up for the the kid that's getting picked on, uh, hmm. you have to not fit in. Right. You, you can't do good and, and be who everybody else is, because everybody else is not stepping up to do good. Right. So um, you, you've got to be a stranger. Right. Um, and like also, like tying
1: this... Like I think our own Anabaptist tradition is a great illustration of this. Like Especially we as conservatives today, like we want to hold on to something. And like we see ourselves as holding to the ancient faith. When it's like, you look at the history of our people, we are the margin. That's literally, like, in every, basically, like, think of every way you can envision the idea of being the margin. And that's who we were mm-hmm. and where we were. Yeah, so
0: interesting, in and, like, we're also, like... Well, like, a, for a, a thousand people, years, we're, the, we're uh, the
1: margin of history.
0: Yeah, uh, we're, we're also, but even today, like, we're a people without a theology. Right. Um, And and almost without a history. Um, I mean... Even though a- I make An- this statement, Anabaptists tend to be like fairly aware of Anabaptist history, but like well, the, that depends on what like, group of Anabaptists. We're, we're not. I mean, we're not a group that's written a lot of history books. Yeah, but
1: like it's interesting. Like you can you can make that statement that we're generally aware of our history, but it's also true that the more conservative and like the more conservative the group is, the less aware yeah. of their actual history they are. hmm Um. And, like, the extreme of that is the Amish who know nothing of their own history. Yeah. But they're, like, also the ones who think that they've held on the most to the old ways. Yeah. It's like, you don't even know what the old ways are. Like, that's not necessarily a criticism. You know, like rationally knowing those things is is useful and beneficial, but it's, like, it's not the most important thing either. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, every way you can imagine we're the margin. Like... We exist like in the Middle Ages in a place that has no definition. It's like who, who even are we ethnically? Nobody actually knows the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, what language did we speak 500 years ago? We don't actually know. Like, did we? We might have spoken German or we might have spoken French. Yeah. Um, and like the geography where we're from, like it's like this place that like, as long as there are written records, has just, like, inspired people with, like, its, its heavenly quality. Um And, like, th- there's a, la- a legend from the t- middle of the 10th century of a Burgundian king having this dream of Lake tune which is, like, the heart of where we're actually from, like, that this is the gates around this, around this lake are the 12 gates to paradise. And, like, the dream moving him so much that he invests who knows how much in actually building 12 churches to represent his dream? That's mm-hmm. like that's remarkable. Like who would do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like these just like these transcendent mountains that reach into heavens. It's like you can think of mountains as like the the place where the definition between heaven and earth is not clear, and like we're also like on the edge of the political world. Like I say, who actually is our ruler? Is it this king or that king or that duke or this duke or is it Bern? Who who would it be? Or, or maybe it's even ourselves. Like nobody actually knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, like tracing the political history of this region is almost impossible.
0: Yeah, well, when um, you're in the mountains, you, uh, maybe I mentioned this on a previous podcast. I don't want to belabor the point, but if you're in the mountains, you're not you're not actually in the empire. Right. Um, I think I did mention it before, so I won't. I won't run through the spiel. But like, but, but, they actually, the the leaders in the empire don't have any influence on you. Yeah,
1: it's, and it's also true. Like, clearly delineated borders didn't exist right. before the modern, like before very modern times. Mm-hmm. And like our region where we're at historically is was is, is that place where the definition isn't clear, which is actually why Switzerland exists as a country to begin with. Because it's, it's this place that's just kind of, it's this in-between place that nobody actually has a grip on. And so eventually it's just like, oh yeah, actually we're our own thing, it turns out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and like that's also like the history of our Anabaptist faith, is we're in this place where it's like, uh, who's in charge here? Um, what's actually your religion? But it turns out we actually have our own religion. Yeah. Um, and it's like it's something that exerts itself slowly over time and like historians still have a hard time like figuring out who actually are the anabaptists where do they come from where their origins um you know how does this phenomenon happen where like this strange sect of christianity just appears overnight out of nowhere it's like well that's probably not a good way of looking at it um And it's, like, also true that, like, uh, I don't want to get, like, too far into, like, the historical details. I'm just trying to bring out this symbolism of, like, us being on the margin. Like, it's also true that what ends up after the Reformation as being, like, the center of our faith, like, the center of where we are, like, geographically, is this place that, uh, it's this territory that two different cities every so many years trade back and forth between them. They have this treaty that like, neither one of us actually owns this territory. So we'll just share who's in charge of it when. And one of them is a Protestant Canton and the other is Catholic. So it's like, it's not even clear, it's not clear who's in charge of this place and it's not clear what the religion of this place is. And it's like the status quo for most of the time is that, well, this place is just, is going to be Catholic. But like the actual reality is that it's Protestant. Um, so like there's this place that's just, there's not, there's not definition to it. It's the margin of understanding, it's the margin of reality. Like this is the place where we come
2: from. Um, and Like
0: so, uh, I, I don't know if you had a conclusion, then go for it. I was going to, I was going to ask a question that's sort of still on the topic a little bit. But
1: yeah. And I was just going to like bring back into that and just to like to wrap that up, like also like ideologically. Um, like we're something that exists on the margin or, or we're an outsider to everybody else. We're, we're just this strange
0: group of people that doesn't fit in anywhere. hmm I mean, I, in a sense, like everybody who's honest is, is, uh, is an outsider that doesn't fit anywhere. Right. Um, but, uh, but I, I was going to ask like, where do, um, where do, where do the margins save the world? Mm-hmm. I mean, what are, can can you give me some examples of that? Any thoughts? Hmm. I mean, <laughs> I think early Christianity is an excellent example.
1: Yeah. Where the margins saves the world, it's mm-hmm. like uh, there again. Like you can say the Christ, like the early church, you can make most of those same statements about them. Like <laughs> political ambiguity in where they're from and where they're at, um, cultural ambiguity. And, like, being a religion that's not tied to a place, not tied to a city or an ethnic group like ancient religions are. Mm -hmm. Um, And being something like, on the one hand, it's a sect of Judaism, but on the other hand, like, the Jews are killing them. Yeah. Um, And, like, this isn't an anti-Semitic statement. It's just a statement of historical fact. Um, But this is, like... They exist on the margins of society, and the Romans don't want them. And try for 300 years, the better, more than 300
0: years, to just absolutely
1: eradicate them.
0: Um, okay, I, I want I want a little more rapid fire, though, in terms of like like what are some examples where it's it's the the people that are that are um, the bad guys or the little guys or whatever. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Elijah already, but you right. have you have this prophetic tradition, and actually, like kind of a prophetic class of people. Uh, among the ancient Hebrews, right? Um, that that are the outsiders and like, I mean, I yeah. think of of Jeremiah, in, in particular, who's like part of his uh, prophetic call was to bury his clothes in in a manure pile, and then put them on and wear them. Right. Um, and uh, so so like in in the prophets, you get these people who um, who are just way out there. Well, you also and, have Hosea. Like, yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Like. Your prophetic call is to uh, go and marry a prostitute and mm-hmm. then raise
0: her child that you don't know if it's yours or not. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, the, the most unacceptable thing, almost the most unacceptable thing... Yeah, like, thing in every you way you can imagine.
1: Be. Yeah. Like, in in the context of the society, and, like, also, like, personally, like... Like, imagine yourself, like, raising a child with a woman that you know has been unfaithful. Mm-hmm. You have no idea if this is your child.
0: And, like... You gotta love this child as your own, yeah, now, I know you already it's mentioned unacceptable. <laughs> you already mentioned the early Christians, but I mean you could since since we mentioned a couple of specific prophets um then then you look at like new testament writers and and like uh, you know how many of the new testament writers were were uh, persecuted unto death um, and so so you've got like it, it'd be interesting to look and just sit down and write write out how much of the Bible, what percentage of the Bible was written by people um, who were, who were like rejects in their society. Right. Um, I, I, want to jump to, to another tradition, just kind of dance around the world a little bit. Actually, this example dances all over the world, which is the, the shamanic tradition. If you're, um, if you're a shaman or if you're going to become a shaman, like basically you're, um, you're like, you're like a loser who has psychological problems. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, I like really seriously, I'm not attacking shaman by saying this. I'm saying like this is a progression of a shaman. You are somebody who absolutely doesn't fit. And you go and like, um, basically try to face your demons. And ma- that means, that means having visionary experience for a shaman. But like what you're doing is you're, you're trying to, yeah, you're the loser, you're the guy on the outside, and you're going to look like just how extremely crazy are you? um and your your visionary experience is actually going to be like basically a baptism it's going to be like uh, a death and resurrection right um and once you go through that process yourself you're still you're still not part of the community you are still very much an outsider, but now people come to you. Yeah, but like, pe- it, people come to you because they need healing, and they go to the person who was an outsider and still is an outsider, and that is the person that has healing. Yeah, like, I know what I was going to say I'm, with I'm that. I'm worried we're going to get in a lot of wind out here, so I want to um, walk in another direction. What
1: I was going to say with that is, uh, like, he's a person who still is the outsider, but he's become the sinner.
0: Yeah, right. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Yes. Which is, like, also Christ. Yeah, right. Um, not to say that the shaman is Christ, but there is a sense in which he's like a reflection of
0: Christ. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's really amazing uh, to, to look through shamanic experience and see, like, how much of this— I mean, I, I use the word baptism, um, death and resurrection— but, like, to see, see how much of uh, these patterns that shamans experience across the world— um, Parallel yeah. uh, well, like, Christian symbolism. People might
1: refer to it as like typology. Mm-hmm, like right. Types or shadows of Christ. It's like I don't, I kind of don't like that terminology because I think it's 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 too shallow. Um, like the idea that like something in the world or in the past or in the Old Testament or something like that is is merely a shadow of Christ, like pointing towards Christ. that's true, but that's not the whole
0: picture either. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, well, you have. You have these kind of patterns, um, not just in the Old Testament, but obviously with the the example I just mentioned. Yeah. Like that, you you have these patterns all over the world, all over the
1: world. And like,
0: I I think that's the better
1: like that's the way to like it's not a type or a shadow of Christ. It's the pattern of Christ
0: being being revealed throughout the world, which which is like written on the hearts of men. Right. Like, um. So you use this, the language that the Bible itself <laughs> y- uses. Yes. It. Right. Um. I mean, like it, it, it is it is part of. Of, um, I mean, you could just say like basic human psychology that the path to, uh, you know, whatever you want to say. I'm going to use like sort of uh, non-Christian generic language. Um, the the path to to spiritual enlightenment, um, the path to unity with the divine, um, is is like being torn apart and put back together. Yeah.
1: Honestly, well, like Carl Jung would say, like, the Christian story is the most perfect story mm-hmm. because it's all stories. Yeah, right. Like, it's all stories contained in one, like, which also means, like, there's a recognition in that that there's something universal throughout the world, and, like, there's a lot of things that are universal throughout the world, and it doesn't make any rational sense. Like, if we're just, like, random beings,
0: why would we have this? Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, there's this there's this order. Well, I mean, to go back and uh, I mentioned Taoism started off with this this yin and yang idea. But like uh, like in in Chinese thought, not only in Taoism but also beyond, um, in in Confucian yeah. thought too. Like there's the Tao, which is the order of the universe, um, the order of of heaven and earth. Maybe would be more precisely to say that, um, and you you like you align yourself in that as well like there's this this ultimate pattern and um you are to walk in it yeah um Mm. like that uh uh, that i mean not not only does everybody have these universal patterns but but everybody also has the idea that they are universal patterns yeah so
1: it's like and i like i brought up this idea like the shaman becoming the center yeah, and like there's a sense in which like that goes back to something we've said before, which is that well, and that's, center, that's
0: that's like what I was saying with like, who are these guys that are writing the Bible? It's like yeah. they're they're these these total outsider figures, but they become the center of the faith right. for for millennia. But what is the, like the point I'm getting
1: to is what is the center? And like we said it before, the center is Christ. And so what we're also recognizing with that is that like this person typifies Christ in so one way or another. Like anything that's the center of anything is typifying christ mm-hmm. uh like and that's that's and i guess i'm bringing that up to like i guess get us back to the center of this conversation But oh, man i want
0: to say one other thing that's really on the edges though first which is um i i just uh i like this parallel with uh with shamanism um we have in our modern society a kind of outsider who who becomes the center and who heals people Um, and, and that basically is, uh, is an artist or a musician, specifically a musician because those are the artists we really care about. So probably, probably your favorite musician, um, was some like total weirdo, like total outsider loser kind of person, and, um... He he sort of like embraced it, like faced it, and tried to understand what it was all about. He probably had some kind of uh, visionary experience, literally, and it was probably drug induced. Mm. And and then he goes on to create art. And the function of the art is like this is also
1: true of the shamans, by the way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right um so so, them, so then 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 he goes on to produce art and the effect of of the art is the same thing that that's the same effect that the shaman has on people and the shaman is actually a musician too mm-hmm. um and an artist so like the, oh, the, so the, 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 num- the number one healing tool for the shaman is his drum um and uh and so the musician um he has these these healing tools which are his musical instruments and his voice that he sings with and and the result is that people listen to it and they're healed and part of the way that they're healed is is like they're they're able to to get a grasp on their own uh, status as outsiders. Like they they get in touch with the thing that is not acceptable about themselves, the thing that's that's like dark and that they don't want to face. The musician helps them to face that, and 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 they feel like they're transformed people. Mm-hmm. So you have the same pattern, but but the big point I wanted to make with it is that it's this person who who was a stranger and an outsider and loser and, and not a righteous person who was like always striving to live perfectly um, and follow all the rules. That kind of person, um, that kind of person that follows all the rules can't, um, like, uh, I, 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 I hesitate to use the word can't. Um, but if you look at like who are the people that are, um, that are, are making a difference in the world. I mean, even in, in business in technology, like who are the people that are making a difference? It's not the people who inherited the company. It's like these these people who were total upstarts, and then their business became the biggest thing in the world. Right. Like you see that pattern over and over again. That is, and and. Uh, but it's again, like it's like
1: a strange like perversion of the pattern.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. It is. I mean. Uh, <laughs> It actually, I mean, especially if we're talking about the pattern as being something that heals people, right? Um, then you see like so many of these. Well, um, so many of
1: these end up being the opposite. Yeah, the right. Healing.
0: But I mean, I mean, for that matter, like uh, you know, like a, a religious tradition also becomes the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Right. Yeah, which is like
1: this conversation we were having earlier about like this idea that we might have as not Catholics in the West that the institutional church for most of its history is like this horribly corrupt thing and like it's not us it's like something that was not that something that was false and corrupting and damaging and against Christ and all this thing it's like and there's actually a sense in which that's true and it's like it's interesting me interesting to me to hear the Orthodox say like you're actually right when you make that complaint and so like what we look at in the history of the church isn't like the strain, like the central strain of the organization, which is mostly corrupt in one way or another, but like still, like, still Christ's church at the same time. But, like what we look is like the thread of truth that runs throughout history. And like oftentimes like the, those who are recognized as like the heroes of orthodoxy or the heroes of faith and the great saints and martyrs of the church like they're martyred by the church like even like the central catholic and orthodox saints like a huge number of them were killed by the church Mm mhm yeah right and like there's this recognition like the church is at the same time holy and the church of christ and the bride of christ and also
0: this thing that frequently falls into corruption in some form or another so um... then you're talking about the church which is the body of christ and I, i i Um, bring that up just because you were talking about the, the body of Christ and communion before we started recording this conversation and I wanted to get your thoughts down here this idea of, of dividing my body broken from yeah you. Um, so like there's an extremely brief period of time where the
1: church is united into a single whole Like, they get along and agree on everything and it's, and it's like 50 days along <laughs> um And like, what happens is the like, the Holy Spirit, and like this is described as as a fire, comes down at Pentecost, and what happens from that point is the church divides.
0: The Holy Spirit, by the way, is like I mean, is something very chaotic. Like if you if you stack that up next to like uh, the tradition and and the dogmas of the church, and then you put the Holy Spirit up next, and it's it's clear like uh, what is the ordered element and what is the chaotic. What's the dogmatic and what's the mystical? Yeah. So, like, we we have two opposing
1: drives within Christianity. Like, I would say within modern Christianity, but I think they've been there since Pentecost. Since the beginning. Which is, on the one hand, you have those who want to just, like, embrace everybody and say, oh, you're all good Christians, you're all the church, and we're all united in Christ. And then there's the other side, which is, like, no, we have to bring together and unite... Under doctrinal orthodoxy in some form or another, it's like everybody has to agree, everybody
0: has to align and be the same,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's like both are right and both are wrong. You know, it's it's also interesting. Like I, I mentioned that that dogmatic and that uh, mystical, um, in reference to the Holy Spirit, and and you see like, um, the the right hand was the thing that pulls to the center and and pulls toward unity, but. Um, but it it doesn't do a very good job of it because if you're trying to pull people toward unity uh, through this well i i I hesitate to use the word totalitarian but like um through through authority then not everybody is going to fall in line and you wind up just like well executing those people (laughs) or or in some way like pushing them away heaping hatred on them and um in contrast it's it's the uh it's the chaotic element it's it's the Holy Spirit that that actually produces unity between people. Yeah. But but I mean, but it's a it's an unstable kind of unity. So again, like if yeah. Um, so anyway, you asked me to answer this
1: question. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go um, for it. Uh, so like we were talking about how, so it's a Last Supper, like the first communion you might say at the same time Christ has like Christ breaks bread with his disciples and gives the symbol of communion, and so like in the Gospels. How it's recorded is Christ is like, here is the blood of the new covenant, and here is the bread, which is my body. Um, it's just kind of a general paraphrase. Then when Paul is talking about communion in Corinthians, he actually expands on what Christ says in the gospel. He adds to it, like it's not like Paul's making something up and adding to what Christ said. It's like I, I would phrase it rather as Paul is inserting the symbolism that implied but not overtly stated earlier, which is, here is my body, which is broken for you. And, like, like, I was reading that a little while back, and, like, it just, like, it struck me that Christ is talking, like, part of what he's talking about here is the church. Like, we know we have this symbol throughout the Old Testament that the church is the body of Christ. And, like... And, like, so, like, the way I would look at that is anytime you see this symbol of the body, like, pay attention, it's talking about the same thing. And so, like, Christ says here, look, this bread, this is my body. He's, and, like, part of what that means is this is a symbol of the church. And But there's a statement there that, like, it struck me, like, I'd missed it, I'd never noticed it before, but he says, this is my body which is broken, for your sake. Um, I was like, well, that's, that's how it is, like, the church is broken, in a sense. But it's actually for our sake that the church is broken. Like, there's a lot of different ways you could go with that. And I mean, probably
0: it, it, that is—it's like a—it is a crazy idea. Uh, the church is broken, and it is for our benefit. Right. Um. And and again, you look at like if if the church, um, if the church was unified by this uh, authoritarian approach then um then it would be oppressive. <laughs> that would not be good mm-hmm. that would not even be good for the people who are at the center right um because because even for them it's oppressive like they're falling in line with <laughs> something that has no spirit to it but also like if you're if you are one of those like weirdos and one of the outcasts then um then you would you would have no home you would never have a home in a church that is right. um is united um
1: but it's like everybody there's a sense in which everybody is is not gonna fit in that. Mm-hmm. Um Because like who's you mean to say, every individual person right. is not gonna fit? Because like who's to say what's right? Well you could say, well, like Christ is to say what's right and the gospel is to say what's right. But there's so many things that just aren't they're not there. Yeah. Like so many of the things that we we choose to doctrinally divide ourselves over. Like, the example we've used already is baptism. Like, we, we've we had 2,000 years of debate on this topic of baptism. And, like, it just comes down to it's just not there. There's not enough information given for us to actually decide who's right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, like, recognizing... Like, I recognized this quite a while ago that God knew... <laughs> obviously, God knows... And Christ knows when he's giving these doctrines to us, delivering them to us, and the apostles speaking, like, by inspiration of God, like, surely they anticipated, like, surely God knows that we're going to have this disagreement on baptism in a one or two hundred years after Christ. So why didn't he explain to us which is the right doctrine?
0: Yeah, right. Um... You'd also mentioned uh, now I, I will say we're a little over an hour right now which I mean we can go quite a bit longer than that that's no problem but I just mm-hmm. wanted to let you know where we're at on our time um, so I don't know if we want if we wanted to get too much into this idea of heresy well yeah but, I wanted like that I was at least ask. we can introduce this idea
1: yeah I was trying to get get back to there um you wanted to go back to the edge, <laughs> which is fine. Like we brought some important things into the discussion. yeah, but uh, so like it comes back to like I, I was kind of segueing into it with this discussion of uh, how the person who's on the margin by embracing that about himself actually finds himself at the center and like and in doing so is typifying Christ. and like bringing back into that this idea that what's at the center, is Christ, and like that's the thing that's at the center of all things. Um, but we need to come at that with the understanding that there's religious language there that's become kind of meaningless today. Um, and I think that that might that might be more true than we realize. And a lot of the things that we're saying, you and I are saying, is like there's religious language there that, uh, in most contexts today, is just empty and without meaning. So like we have all kinds of statements about Christ. Like, they're true statements, but I'm, like, repeatedly frustrated by them because I don't know what you mean when you say these things. And I'm not sure you do either. Like, this just being, like, the general you, not you, John Baylor. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, so saying, like, Christ is at the center or Christ is the Lord of my life or, like, my identity is in Christ. All these statements we make about Christ and Christ being king and Christ being my savior, and things like that, is like, okay, what the heck do you even mean? Like, what are you talking about? Do you have any idea what you're talking about? And, like, you're asking this well, like, I, in the context I, I just, of heresy.
0: I want to I clarify your idea there, because it, it sounds like, like you could be saying, like, just, you're nuts. But what you're really saying is, like, um, could you define that for me? Right, like, I'm not saying you're nuts. I'm saying, like, I think you've
1: just been so wrapped up in this language all your life, you as the Christian... You've been so wrapped up in this language all your life that you just accepted these dogmatic statements, mm-hmm. but they don't mean anything. Like, yeah, you don't have any understanding. Like it's not necessarily important that
0: everybody understands them. Yeah, somebody needs to. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like like how just how many people are serious Christians who say Christian language makes me uncomfortable? Yeah. Well, like I think it should, and like
1: I actually think it's designed to make you uncomfortable. Like, that's the whole point of it. Um, anything that's of meaning should make you grossly uncomfortable, especially if it's used without meaning.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, I, I think, like, that's the, the key there. It's not, it's not uncomfortable in the sense of, like, uh, I mean, <laughs> being made uncomfortable can be a good thing at times. Right. But, but no, I mean, like, like, boy, I'm hearing all this Christian language and I feel like, like, these are the things that I'm, I'm supposed to be saying myself. But um, but something seems a little off about it to me.
1: Yeah, and it's like I've made the pers- the statement myself personally. Like I don't I don't like to go around well, and say like Oh, praise the Lord. hmm Because I find it to be something people say because they think that's what they're supposed to say. Yeah. And like for me personally, it's like uh, well, isn't that kind of using the Lord's
0: name in vain? Like as in you're using it for your own vanity. Yeah. Right. Right. And I also have this feeling that when we, you use this kind of Christian language, then you're saying, um, you're saying I'm part of the club. Right. And I might have Which mentioned, is what I
1: mean by you're using it for your own vanity.
0: I know I've said this before. I don't know if, if this was on one of our recorded conversations or not. But, but it feels like, look at me, I'm part of the club. And when I look at that, then my feeling, like just my gut feeling is, I don't want to be a part of the club. Right. and and it's sort of it's hard to explain like why that would be the case but in the context of this conversation like we've we've covered why that's the case um, I you, I don't want to be a part of the club because um, because you have to be an outsider well yeah it's like um, if you're
1: if you're Elijah if you're the guy who's actually right and holding on to the truth of God like the king wants you dead yeah like he's put out orders for your head mm-hmm. and has all of his men out hunting you down yeah and to to the point where like even anybody that encounters you fears for his own life like this being part part of the story of elijah is who was it the king's right-hand man was secretly a follower of god and had been protecting like 50 prophets hiding them in a cave and then he encounters elijah on the road and elijah sends this message with him like tell ahab that i'm gonna come see him tomorrow and then he's like well crap i can't tell him that because like What if God does what He's been doing for all these prophets and spirits you away, and the king comes out to find you and he's not there? Like he's gonna chop my head off. (laughs) It's like anybody that encounters Elijah fears for his own life. Yeah. Well, it's like I think that's also true. Like, like I—that's not like a random statement I'm making. Like, there's there's meaning in that story. Um, like, Like that applies to anybody that's sincerely following the way of truth. Is that. You're an outsider. The king wants you dead. Like, as in, like, the the principalities mm-hmm. that rule over this world. Like, they want you dead. Yeah. And anybody that's a servant of them fears for his own life when he encounters you.
0: You like, know, I feel like...
1: Realizing, like, encountering you is encountering something that's dangerous. As a,
0: a public school teacher, I feel like... Now, I, I want to be clear before I say this, that... I don't, I don't fancy myself to be an evangelist. Um, I don't have interest in, uh, in proselytizing students or anything like that. Like, I mean, none whatsoever. Um, It's not something that, like, oh, if I could get away with it, that's what I would be doing. Right. Um, But, but I also feel like, well, clearly that's because you're not a good Christian. (laughs) Well, I also feel like it's, it's hard to teach. Without, um, without in a sense speaking to religious questions because no matter what subject you're teaching there's still, um, the meaning? There, there's still meaning and there's still uh, like being able to learn depends on certain values and I mean in an age where, where you're not allowed to impose your values onto somebody else well what are you supposed to do if somebody can't learn you have to impose the right values on them—the the values that make them able to learn something. I mean, like, you—you've got to have—you've got to have humility to learn something. Um, you've got to be honest to, to learn something. You've got to be disciplined and devoted. Um, like, I mean, I could I could, if I sat down, you know, and try to list it out, I, I could come up with quite a list of like what are what are values that are required um, before you can really be a good learner. Um, and and then, if you're teaching literature. Which is what I'm teaching. Then, um, for one, a lot of literature is is explicitly religious, and um, and even if it's, I explicitly religious, isn't quite the right word because even if it's not a religious work, like it still it still depends on um, a, a religious cultural context. Um, it still depends on on religious symbolism uh, frequently, and not all the time. Well, I guess that's kind of debatable because, um, because, what? If you're dealing with symbolism, then maybe yeah. maybe it is religious automatically by the virtue of the fact that it's symbolic. But uh, but that's sort of another discussion. My point is, um, literature oftentimes is dealing with religion in some form. But when it's not, it's still dealing with spiritual matters. Um, what kind of person are you? What kind of person do you want to become? What does it take to become that type of person? And if you're, if you want to be a good person, then you 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 need to address those things. If you want to be a good teacher, if you want to stand for what's right, then um, then then like you have to walk on that ground, and and then you also get like all these kids that are. Uh, um, that they, they've got all kinds of pro- family problems, parents that are divorced and, and abusive backgrounds, and um, and you've got, like, uh, friends that are... Or, like, people that are depressed. Their friends are, are uh, like, committed suicide or something. I mean, like, I, I know these things because I have my students write about these things, so I'm not, like, listing off a bunch of things that, that kids today face. I'm saying, like, my students tell me these things are true about them. And if you want... If you want that kid to be a good English student, then it takes um, a, a type of spiritual healing right. in order to do it. If you want them to be like a good citizen, which is like that's, that's a, a simple way to define the purpose of education, then um, it takes spiritual healing for, for that child to grow on to be a good citizen. Um, and, and, and you sort of feel like like your hands are tied like I say, even if you don't want to be religious, even if you don't want to evangelize and don't proselytize people, which, which again, I mean, doing this religious podcast probably makes it seem like that's what I want to be talking about all the time, but it's not. Um, but I still feel like there, there is a, well, Well, so, again, just a, a spiritual healing. Like, if you want to do good for these kids, then, then you have to be a kind of person that it's not acceptable to be.
1: Like, I'm going to say it in a slightly different way. Like, it is what I want to be talking about all the time. Like, I've made this statement before that, like, my place where I want to be is, like, so lost, like, so dead to self, and, like, buried with Christ, and then resurrected, like, as Christ mm-hmm. that like you can't like there's nothing of me like there's only Christ
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but like at the same time along with that I abhor this religious language Yeah, and like this sort of religious way of putting putting yourself together because like, I, I sincerely think it is like in this insidious way born of vanity mm-hmm. um, and, like you say wanting to be part of the club wanting to belong to something it's like no that's not the Christian like the Christian is like is the guy that puts himself on the margin. Like, again, going back, like reading this book uh, by John Climacus, The Latter Divine Ascent. Um, it's, it's, it's an instruction manual for monks, but like since he wrote it, everybody else read it too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and he's talking about like putting yourself in exile. And like, this is like the Christian path. Like, a monk is like the most extreme outward example of that. But it's obvious to everybody reading this that all of these same things apply to somebody that's not a monk also. Yeah. And it's like what you're supposed to be doing is throwing off all of these things that make you belong to the club and like intentionally not belonging to any club whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's like and like Christianity isn't a club and it never should be. And if uh, you're wrapping yourself within the Christian club, you're actually denying Christ. Um. Which again, like I want to get back, like to the center, like when you're talking about, um, like you feel like your hands are tied. Like my obvious observation is like that's because
0: the, you're not allowed to have meaning. You're not allowed to yeah, have right.
1: the, a center at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I said values, right. uh, But but yeah, not allowed to have a center is the same, the right. same thing. And like, uh, well, like I want to interject here real quickly. That's
1: kind of an aside, like obviously this conversation is not at all the conversation we set out to have Mm -hmm. like in almost any way but that's good actually like the temptation like we keep like okay let's get back to what we wanted to talk about and but like no like that's not the way (laughs) it's not the way things like i think if we try to do that like we just end up having an artificial conversation yeah right um
0: yeah i mean the the goal is is exploration the goal isn't to uh, to, to nail things down and
1: dogmatize, right. Right. Because um, it's a mystical process.
0: Right. Um, but
1: we do at the same time, like, tie this all back into the center. And, like, uh, we've kind of hinted at this and maybe said it a little bit, like, the whole inspiration behind this particular conversation is heresy. Um, and, like, you started to ask me to get into that a little bit earlier. Um, but this idea, like, since we've lost the center, then heresies pop up. And like one like particularly alarming heresy is the denial of Christ. But like in in a way that you can pretend that you haven't denied Christ. And so it's like inventing doctrines
0: about Christ that aren't aren't Christ. Okay, to, to be clear before you make that point about about what it means that now that we've lost the sinner which is what you said. Now, we've been talking about this Christian language, like people yeah. saying these things that refer to the center of the Christian faith. But if you say, like, can you define that? Can you tell me what you actually mean when you say that? Um, then, then it feels like we don't have a good grasp. But we can argue uh, on, uh, you were mentioning the position of baptism. Yeah. Like we, we can argue over these minor doctrinal points, and we can, we can act like those are what the faith is all about. But then when you really look at, like, well, what is the center of the faith? What, what do you think about um, the nature of Christ about how does a person um, uh, y- unite with God? Um, what is what does that process look like in the life of a person? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean we're just we're sort of at a loss on those things so that's that's what you mean by now that we've lost the center right yeah
1: but in like these uh, doctrines, That deny Christ or preach some other gospel and like I can go on and on and on about how the Bible establishes the true doctrine and actually like goes directly against certain other teachings that rise up within the church Um, but all of this talk about meaning and about Christ being at the center like like to me like this is the entire foundation of Christianity is Christ and like who and what Christ is Um, I won't actually say what the specific heresy is that got me, like, that has me, has me worked up, but instead what I'll say is, like, what is true, which is that Christ is God, Christ is God, is the word of God that's taken on flesh, like, God himself incarnate, God with us, God among us, God in us, um, that being, like, all the different ways in which you can translate Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. Um... Um like this is this is who Christ is, God incarnate, God taking upon Himself the burden of our sin, like the responsibility for it. Um God showing us the way by condescending to be like us, by taking on flesh, um being born as a baby, like in this helpless state. Mm-hmm. Um like being dependent upon Mary and like mortals <laughs> to look after God Himself as a baby. Like,
0: can you imagine? Yeah, there's <laughs> like this is God we're talking about. Now, there's there's lots but, of people that, uh, you know, like w- we're on board with the idea of God. And then yeah. when it comes to Christ, and, and I, when I say lots of people, I mean like um, this is a um, like. Like a, a matter of mystery and constant question for me is like what is the nature of Christ right um, but but if I look at like, okay, what do I believe about God the Father, and what what um, he is, and I almost hesitate even to say he, but like I don't want to use it, right. um, but I mean like wh- just a what is God, what is um, what is God's connection to me? Um, and to other people, and I mean, like, like th- when you look at the idea of God, then it, then it seems like, wouldn't the nature of this entity to be, um, become one of us? Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be the thing that God does?
1: Um, but yeah, like, what I'm getting at is, like, this idea that Christ is at the center, but what's vitally important is that we understand what that actually means, and to understand what that means like to look at Christ and understand what Christ is because if we have any idea of Christ that is in any way insufficient everything falls apart and like that's like to me a perfect picture of the church is that it has fallen apart because we've lost the center we've lost we've lost understanding of actually what Christ is, is to begin mm-hmm. with and we've like we've come up with these diluted. Like not diluted, but like diluted, like like too much water. <laughs> yeah. Um, like this diluted. These all these ways in which we've diluted the idea of Christ into something lesser. Um, and like this is like my principal frustration with so much uh, modern Christian ways of looking at Christ. It's like you're not wrong.
0: It's just you're not. It's, you're, you're not there. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we get like, when it comes Christmas time, then, then this insistence, Jesus is the reason for the season, Yeah, uh, which is like, okay, um, that's fine, but like, where are you going with that? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like, like the, the people who are, are insisting on that, um, you know, or, or, or. The people that are insisting on that, I think they don't know exactly what they're saying, and they reveal it when they say that the reason, uh, the reason that we had Christmas is so that we can have Easter, um, and it's like oh, nothing against Easter, but this is the incarnation of God. Mm-hmm. Um, like, hold on, let's look at this for a moment. I mean, it's not, it's not that um, that. Like this is important because how could Christ have died for us if yeah. he if he wasn't born? Um, but it's also like I mean, what does this say about about being a human? <laughs> right. Um. So I, I I just mentioned that because because even in the way that we talk about Christmas, there's this sense that um, that we're not quite sure what is the nature. Of God and Christ that we're speaking yeah. about.
1: Yeah. Oh, so like I get the impression that in modern Christianity, the center of Christianity is the sacrifice.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, right.
1: Which, like, to my answer to that would be like, okay, like I need to back up first before I go any further and say, like, I make a lot of objections towards things that exist today in our churches, in modern Christianity, in my own churches. it's like i'm not actually against these things and i'm not arguing against you and telling you that you're wrong what i'm trying to do is push you further like say like there's something that you've lost um there's ways in which christianity has fractured itself and we're not holding on to the fullness of the faith and like that's my like that's my whole outlook is okay let's bring in those pieces that we've let go of um so it's like the sacrifice is important It's a very central part of the message, but it's not actually the message. Um, And like you see this reflected in this kind of like Christianity that makes you feel good. And like you're you're like, you're so thankful and happy for what Christ has done for you. It's like, okay, now what? Like, are you just going to spend the rest of your life being thankful and happy for what Christ has done for
0: you? It's like, well, that's that's a pretty empty and shallow Christianity to me. Well, you know? I, I hate to be, uh, you know, like too critical of the idea of thanks. I think we well, can, yeah, no, we, can, like, we uh, That's
1: it. why I, that's
0: why I gave that whole like disclaimer. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> ahead of time, it's like, I'm not saying that that it's wrong, mm-hmm. but like that's not all there is to it. Yeah, like the sacrifice is to, like is unto something. Yeah, like, right. So, like, the center of Christianity isn't the cross. The center of Christianity is Christ himself, like I said this before. Like, look at the whole picture. Like, Christ died for us on the cross, and, like, that's amazing. Um, But, like, he was also resurrected, Mm -hmm. and that's even more important. But then, like, even beyond that, he said before this whole thing, like, hey, look at what I'm about to do. Now, do the same thing. Like, take up your own cross and follow me. Yeah. Like, right. I, like, that's being the central message of the gospel, is be like Christ. Do what Christ did for others. Yeah. And, like,
0: become, like, embody Christ in the world. Right. Like, that's actually what the gospel mission is. Which, Which, again, is like, I mean, without... You say the resurrection being the important thing. The pattern of the Christian life is death and resurrection.
2: Yeah.
1: And, like, even, like, my own statement... Like this is this is a difficult thing I think for anyone. It's something I recognize acutely in my own self. It's coming to the understanding of of a lot of things and seeing things for what they are, but having no idea how to embody them in the world. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I make these statements. Like, my goal is to uh, like be so dead to self and filled with Christ that like there's nothing left of me, and you see Christ in my action. Like, when I move, it's Christ moving? It's like okay, what what the heck does that even mean? Like, what is? How do you do that? And like, I think part of it is like what we're saying now is like embody Christ in the world. What Christ did, you embody that. You do that. Like you go out in the world. It's an active process. Like the point of Christianity isn't to save me. It's not to redeem me so I go to heaven and then I just like spend the rest of my life going around and smiling.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, okay. No,
1: that's not. That's not. Like, the the point of Christianity is actually that I'm buried with Christ and I'm dead, and like, there that
0: there's not me anymore. There's only Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we probably wrap it up pretty quickly. I mean, you're kind of hitting on on closing yeah. remarks there, anyways. I feel like. Um, I I want to mention just a couple other things. One, I I did want to throw out. This is not really closing remarks, but that uh. Um, there's a, a couple of ideas from Freud that hit on those same dichotomies, which was uh, um, eros and death wish, um, and I, that that like maps very nicely onto love and strife uh, from Empedocles, um, and also not, not so much uh, ego and id, but like super ego and id. Uh, super ego being this sort of like um, dogmatic approach that you have. Uh, this very conscious uh, approach that you have to to life um, and then you have this the id which is these sort of uh, chaotic forces of the unconscious um, so I want to mention those in connection again with this uh, like left brain and right brain love and strife uh, yang and yin order and chaos all those things um, just to say again we it, it's it's an idea that shows up um, all over the place but um, but what I wanted to say as a uh, um as a a closing remark i I just wanted to mention that a a church that i was in recently and in in the sermon the pastor was saying um we're righteous through christ um not by not by what we do you know i mean it's 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 christ and he he wants us to raise our hands and say like who's righteous in this room and so like people in the church are raising their hands and I'm I'm not gonna raise my hand, <laughs> um, like like this this statement like um, I'm good and I'm at the center. I understand the point he's making, theologically. I I understand like there's uh, um, there's there's benefits in like in being able to um, to like release your guilt and release the burdens that you put on yourself. Um, there's uh, there's benefits in saying like uh, oneness with God is is possible which I think is also part of that message yeah um,
1: but it's like Christ is Christ is an all-consuming fire which is an image that everybody takes to mean different things but and it means all those things at once this, but like that's that's like the idea of Christ in judgment is centrally important um like, this revelations image of Christ stands at the center of the church throughout its history. And it's something that at the same time is both wondrous and terrifying.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's like, people tend to want one side or the other and not unite them together.
0: Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I, but, but again, like, in, in that moment then I'm thinking, like, which one went home justified? It was the one who, who, who beat his breast and said, right. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, and and even in that statement, there's like you get those two things tied together because you you have um, you have this guy who's recognizing himself as a problem person, a person who's on the outside, um, but you also have like that's the guy that went home justified, mm-hmm. um, that that uh, that marginal figure that came to God. That's the one who's standing at the center. Right. So like ancient Christianity will take that idea and say like this this here. <clears throat> Like, Lord,
1: have mercy on me, a sinner. Like, this is the... This recognition is the first step. Mm -hmm. But it's also, like, that's not where you... Like, you're constantly going back to that. But that's not everything. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's... Again, there's
0: also, like... That's the one that went home justified.
1: Yeah, so, like, you have the hesychastic prayer in the Eastern Orthodox Church, which is that prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have... Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm -hmm. And, like, the idea that that prayer is your constant prayer. Yeah. Okay, well, any last words? Um, yeah, I just wanted to, like, I guess close by reiterating this point. Like, uh, it's important to understand, like, Christ is at the center, and this is God himself, um, which you can say is like the perfect union of heaven and earth. And this is what Christ is at all times. Like, there's no point in which Christ is not this. And, like, like at any point during his uh, during his time on earth, at any point in the past and in the future, like, this is always what Christ is, is this union of heaven and earth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <coughs> and, like, understand, like, that's what's at the center of everything, is the union of heaven and earth.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, part of the mission is, like, if, if you're going to heal people, then, uh, then you must be broken. Right. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support this podcast, then all that we ask is for you to subscribe. Think of a friend who might enjoy it and share it with them. And please join us again for another walk in the woods, another conversation, and another journey in the sacred life.